Brian asked me to preach this morning, and I said, okay. He said, are we going to continue through Acts, or are you going to do a one-off sermon? And I said, well, let's look at the text. I didn't have to preach Ananias and Sapphira again, so I said, we'll go ahead and do Acts. So this morning, we're going to be in Acts 13, 1 through 12. As I look around the room this morning, and I see some of our veteran saints, some of our uh, brothers and sisters that have a little bit more experience in life and a little bit more time under their belt following Jesus. Notice how I danced around that word, right? Yeah, we don't like that word, right? But our older generation, if you look around this room and you pick just one of them, and you ask them to go to coffee with you. And as you sit there, you ask them this question. If you ask them and say, have you ever experienced opposition when you were either preparing or while you were actually sharing the gospel? I'm certain they could all say, yes, they had. Opposition to sharing the gospel. I'm convinced each one of them will have a story that they could tell you about it. This could be a story of sharing the gospel with a friend or a family member, story of a chance encounter where God led them to share the gospel with someone, maybe somebody that God has put on their heart and they have just prayed over it many times. And when they go to share that gospel that one time, problems ensue. See, when we start to look at sharing the gospel, when we start to look at the opposition that comes, we need to understand where that opposition comes from. Satan is great about getting in our minds to get into our brain and to discourage us because he wants nothing more in our life than our silence. Just a couple seconds of awkward silence is awkward, right? But he wants our silence because he doesn't want us to proclaim the gospel. He doesn't want us to tell our story. He doesn't want us to tell how Jesus has impacted our life when we started following him. The opposition to following obediently and being ready to share the gospel sharing the gospel, discipling new believers and veteran believers. See, these stories of what we do and how we do it kind of get muddled up in life. I don't know about you, but I want my daughter to have an easier life than I did, to prosper better than I have to make a bigger impact in someone's life than I have. I want those things for her. And so over the years, I've given her lots of advice. Lots of advice. Some of which she's taken, some of it she hasn't. But that advice was given the same as you've given advice to younger people in your life to help them avoid some of the pitfalls that we, we enter as humans 
some of the pain that we would have endured if someone would have given us some good advice to steer clear of it. If we would have gotten some, some solid advice, maybe some of that hurt in our life wouldn't have happened. See, we're really good about giving that advice and giving that information up, but I don't think we're really good about talking about the opposition or the problems that we encounter when we go to share the gospel. We don't talk about that a lot. Quite frankly, unfortunately, it's because we don't really talk about sharing the gospel a lot. This is something that is key to growing a healthy church, is that we understand that we can talk to each other and we can share our burdens and our problems with each other and we can grow from each one of those encounters. This is the best part about coming together as a church family, is we can lean on each other, right? When we start to look at our text today, we're gonna see the story of Barnabas and Saul, and we're gonna see how they encountered the opposition when they went out on mission. They encountered a problem when they went out. But we can see Luke as he uses this to help us get farther in our own walk. In fact, if we start to look at the New Testament, it is chock full of problems that come against the sharing of the gospel. It's almost like a roadmap of encouragement for each one of us as we read the New Testament to understand that these problems happened, but in the middle of it, God was faithful and he was right there beside it and he took care of the problem. This is what the New Testament teaches. The gospel needs to be shared no matter what. So as we start to read, we're gonna be at Acts 13, one through 12 this morning. Before I read God's word, I'd like us to go into prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you would guide the words that come out of my mouth this morning. That you would prepare the hearts to hear it. And Lord, that you would give courage and strength to act on the words that we study today. Lord, your word is powerful, it's mighty. And God when we, we seek it out, when we search it, we find the answers to all of our problems. Lord, may we seek your wisdom today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Acts 13, starting at verse 1, says, Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, May. Manian, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Arriving at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. 
They also had John as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was, the, he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and wanted to hear the word of God. But Ilimus, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Ilimus and said, You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil and enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist of darkness fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then when he saw what had happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's look at how Luke's account of this mission can teach us why our stories of struggle to share the gospel matter. You see, whether we believe it or not, or we see it or not, if we're believers, we are a missionary. Our job is to go and spread the gospel. We're called not just to believe and understand and hide that information in our heart, but we're called to go and take that information to the people we encounter. Whether that be here in Moberly, where we live, we work, we go to school, we interact with people at the gas station and the grocery store, wherever that is. Or maybe we're called to be missionaries like Matt and Sian are in Myanmar, or Chris Burton is in India, or my great friend Michael Vo is to Mexico. We're all missionaries. We just have to figure out where God's planted us to be that missionary. Most of us, though, we're called to share the gospel right here in our little sphere of influence, in our area. But when we do that, we have to understand that spreading the gospel, you are going to come into some opposition to your mission. It's going to happen. There will be that problem that arises or that person that comes against you. So when we look at today's text, we're going to break it down into three different things we can learn from it. The first thing we can learn this morning is the church, the church must prepare us for the mission God has called us to. This makes it really personal, doesn't it? The church must prepare us. That's you and I. Prepare us for the mission. My hope here at First Baptist is that we offer many ways to prepare you for that mission field. We want you to be ready when the opportunity comes. As missionaries for Christ, we're going to be missionaries in our homes, in our workplace, in our schools, while teaching our grandkids, 
Some of us, while watching our kids and our grandkids play t-ball, man, that right there will check your Sunday school lesson, won't it? <sighs> when you think your kid's not getting enough playing time, or you've been over this a hundred times with them and they still drop the ball at first base, you know what I mean? Yeah, everywhere we go, we're called to be a missionary. Now, Acts 1 and 2, it says, Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. There were prophets and teachers. Did you see that? They were doing what God's commanded. They were teaching their people. They had a job to do. That was to teach them, to prepare God's people, to share the gospel. I told you I was going to get a little personal. Here we go. A little bit personal. Every Sunday at 9.30, we have Sunday school. This is where we can come together and we can learn and we can teach. And I can tell you, we have some really great Sunday school teachers in our church that understand their calling, to understand that their job is to prepare and help prepare you for the mission field. I want to encourage you, if you're not coming on Sunday morning at 9.30, you should do that. We can get you plugged into a Sunday school class. Okay, soapbox over. So, continue on, it says, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. See, the church was committed to worshiping and praying and fasting. Their focus was on God. From the leadership down to the congregation, their focus was on God. And as we see, it was also on the spread of the gospel. Because while they were focusing on God, he pressed their hearts to set apart Barnabas and Saul. To set them apart and to send them out. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure that after they set them apart, there was a time of training. See, when we're set apart as missionaries, when we accept Jesus, there should be a time of training where we learn and we should fill our mind with God's word and we should fill our hearts with the desire to go do his work. And so we can see that this church was following God's will. They were equipping the saints. So the, the church must prepare us for the mission that God has called us to. The church in Antioch was doing that. I've seen many, many people attend mission trips from here. Just a, what, last week, week before last, we commissioned a young man to go and to preach. I can see God sees that our church values spreading the gospel. Our church sees that we are committed to teaching the gospel so that it can be taken out. Our church is preparing us for the mission. Point number two, it says the church must be obedient when God calls, when God's call to go comes. 
If we're going to be a sending church, we have to be obedient when God calls. When God calls one of us to change our mission field. That's hard sometimes, isn't it? To see a friend decide that they have to leave to go maybe on a long-term mission to where you're not going to see them for a while. Maybe it's just a short-term mission. I know that I've been to Juarez, Mexico many, many times, and every time I tell somebody I'm going there, somewhere in that mix, they ask me, is it safe? Is St. Louis safe? We go there, right? New Orleans is not a safe place, but they just had all the Southern Baptist pastors come down there for a conference, right? Is it safe? I'm not sure safety is the question you have to ask. Are you willing to go? There's the question. If we're going to be ascending church, we have to be obedient when God calls. And the church in Antioch was ready. They were ready, and this is what they did. It says, then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. I've been on a lot of mission trips. Before each mission trip, we do this. We pray together. There's usually some laying on of hands, a commissioning service. This is always a special moment before the mission because then you know that your church family is committed to praying for you while you're gone. But this year in New Orleans, I got to see something that different things registered different ways in your life at different times. And this year I was impacted in a large way. 79 missionaries were commissioned to overseas missions, which that's a lot of people. We could use a lot more, but that was a lot of people. But what really struck me was they would have them come up on stage, stand in front of this screen behind them, say their name, where they're going, and what church was sending them. Great. And then that stopped, and there was a little transition, and then they put up this white screen And then they would step in behind it with a light behind them so there was just a shadow silhouette. And they would say their name, what church sent them, and the region of the world they were going to. It wasn't the specific country or the specific town, the region. And the reason was it's not safe for them to be there. It's not safe for them to proclaim Jesus in that area. And that just tore my heart up. We forsake the opportunity to share the gospel right here in our hometown. And these people had the courage to jump on board when God said, let's go. And they're going somewhere where they could never see their family again. They're going somewhere where they could be beaten and really persecuted. They're going and they're ready to take the gospel. They're ready to go share. But this is the reality we live in. 
Barnabas and Saul were leaving the security of their church. They were leaving their fellow believers behind, and they were going to go where God had called them. My wife will tell you, I'm constantly talking to people. I don't know a stranger. I speak to people all the time that I've never met before. My dad was a truck driver, and I think I get a lot of that from him because he never knew a stranger either. And so that's who I am. But in the course of talking to these people, it always comes up, what do you do? And they tell me what they do. They ask me what I do, and I tell them I work with students, do student ministry. And in that mix, I start talking about the things that I love to do. One of the things that always comes up is missions. One of the things that always comes up is the fact that I go to Mexico quite a bit, and I go work with people from all over the U.S. with the same goal to spread the gospel. This is who I am kind of in a nutshell, right? Well, these two subjects always come up, and multiple times now I've had the opportunity to invite some of these people that I meet on mission trips with me. It's not me inviting them that allows them to go. It's not me inviting them that convinces them to go. It's the fact that they were just like Barnabas and Saul, and when they had the opportunity presented to them, they said, yes, I'm ready to go, and they got on board. A friend of mine, he's a senior pastor in Mississippi. I met him on a shuttle bus from a convention center to our hotel. And in that little bit of time, and then a little bit of time in the lobby of the hotel, I had told him about missions. And he went with me the very next time that I went. I got to work with that brother in Christ. It was a great week, and God impacted his life so that he took that back to his church, and his church has been back down there five times now. He was ready to go. He was like Saul and Barnabas, and he was ready to say yes. So, back to the text, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, arriving in Salimus. What does it say they did after that? It says they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Didn't say they slowed down, stopped, and went to Cracker Barrel first. It says they went and found the closest synagogue, and they walked in, and they took a foreign thought process. They took a foreign ideal, and they walked into the synagogue, and they said, let me tell you about Jesus. They went into hostility. And they said, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, up until now, we don't really have any record of Barnabas and Saul coming into any opposition, right? The church that prepared the missionaries sent the missionaries. Our third point is the missionaries 
will be ready when the opposition to the gospel comes. Because they've been prepared. Because they said yes. And as we'll read, because the Holy Spirit is always with us. Looking at the text, starting at verse 6, it says, When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they would have been walking from village to village. There was no mass transit, no bus, no scooters. They would have been walking. So every village they would have been, they would have gone in and they would have sought out a place where they could teach. Now this is not a, Cyprus is not a big island. And word would have spread fast. Word would have spread very fast. Fast enough that the proconsul who is the, the, the reigning, governing body for the Roman Empire, heard about them. This happens because, continuing on, it says, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. when you start to look at Jesus' teachings and you start to look at how he said the law is fulfilled, it starts to take away the power that the Jewish rabbis had, that the synagogue had, that all of the Jewish teaching had over the people, but also it would have challenged the Roman Empire and all of the hangers-on that were there, like Bar-Jesus, who it says was a sorcerer. So he was basically a sham, right? He, was, he could do some things and nobody could explain it, but it wasn't any magical thing. It wasn't anything powerful. But he could do these things, and so it had people baffled. And so he'd risen up, and he was with the Roman Empire's representative, the proconsul. He was basically kind of just in the court, in the area, with some influence. He had a cush lifestyle, right? Saul and Barnabas would have been preaching all of the things that Jesus had done. The healing of the people, the raising of the dead, the coming back to life, the ascending to heaven, all of these things that Bar-Jesus couldn't do. And he knew that this was going to challenge his position in the state, in, in the empire, in his cushy life. He could see it was going to challenge it. And so what does Bar-Jesus do? It says, But Ilimus the sorcerer, that's the meaning of his name, Ilimus and Bar-Jesus, same person. Tracking with me? Same guy. Said he opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That's the opposition. That is Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas' opposition. One guy. One guy with a little bit of influence, one guy with some power, one guy 
brought opposition. Now, when you go and have coffee with one of our veteran saints and you ask them about the opposition in their life when they shared the gospel, my guess is it's not going to be a host of people. My guess is it's probably just going to be one guy. Maybe one guy in this situation, maybe one guy in this situation, maybe one guy in this situation. We have to be strong enough to do what Saul did. We have to be strong enough. It says, but Saul, also called Paul, first off, filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not you doing it alone. It's not you coming against the opposition by yourself. It says, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared straight at Elymas and said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You ever had that person in your life that when they shake your hand or when they come up and talk to you, they stare right in your eyes and they just, that's, that's their focus. They see your eyes and they don't take their eyes off of you. They see your eyes, they see your eyes, right? doesn't take very long and you kind of feel all creeped out, don't you? Right? We don't like people staring us in the eyes. Man, Saul's like locked in. We are going to have this discussion. You're not going to turn me away. You're not going to ignore me. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. And he says, you're full of it. You are just full of it. Why is your life this way? It says, You son of the devil and an enemy of all that is right, won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? I would hope that we don't know anybody that does this in our life, but I'm pretty sure we do. They may not be our friend, or they may be our friend. But the Bible shows us that we should be calling this out. We should be coming against this. And not in our own account, but with the Holy Spirit. It says, now look, the Lord's hand is against you. Now, I don't know about you, I don't want to look at somebody and go, you're going to be blind, because that would... But that's what Paul did. That's what Saul did. He said, you're going to be blind. And at that moment, the guy lost his sight. That moment. But what happens from that? What happens from him losing his sight? One, the opposition was quieted and the opportunity to actually speak one-on-one -on -one with the pro-counsel without somebody in the background going, yip, 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 yip. But for two, it says, then when he saw what had happened, the pro-counsel believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The pro-counsel called for 
Barnabas and Saul to come and to explain the gospel to them. The opposition came. Saul stood up to the opposition, and because of that, he had the opportunity to deliver the gospel in a clear and concise way, and the proconsul became a brother in Christ. In that moment. But see, this whole time we've been talking about the side of opposition from the missionary. But see, there's also the side of the opposition from the one that's going to receive the word. The lost are not going to be strong enough. They are not going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They are not going to push back on that opposition. It's going to be up to us as believers to push through the opposition to push through the problem, to push past the person that's being the obstacle, to get the gospel out to the people who need to hear it. It's our job. We can't leave it up to the lost to just, if we threw the door open on the front of the church and said, okay, whoever comes in, comes in, we can't do that and expect the, our congregation to fill. We have to be on mission. We have to be out sharing the gospel. If we're going to continue to grow God's kingdom one soul at a time, we have to be on mission everywhere we go. Everything we do. One life was changed forever because Saul said enough is enough. This morning, I need to ask you, which side of the mission are you on, first off? Are you the lost that somebody needs to push past all this opposition to get to? And has that happened this morning? Are you the lost that knows you need Jesus Christ this morning? If that's you, in just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I would love to pray with you right down here. I would love to see you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and change your life forever. It's not an easy decision. But we've seen this 11 times this year already. Someone come and give their life to Christ. Is that you this morning? Do you need to do that? And then the other side of that mission field, are you a missionary and you're not living up to your calling? Are you a missionary and God's put it on your heart that you need to expand your mission field? Maybe that's here. Are you a missionary and God's put it on your heart that you know you're not ready to go out and proclaim because you need more encouragement, more teaching. Guys, back up on the soapbox, 9.30, Sunday morning, Sunday school, right? Maybe God's calling you as a missionary to go somewhere absolutely crazy. 
while back in youth ministry, it was a really large thing to call out the called. Call out the called. Anytime you were in front of youth, you were really calling out the called. This morning, I want to call out the called. If God's calling your heart to do something, the altar's open down here. No better place and no better time to come to give your life over, to commit to whatever it is God's calling you to. This morning, if God's calling your heart, now's the time to respond. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to speak to this congregation, to all these people in Facebook and on the radio. God, you know their heart. You know their struggle. Be real. Be present in their life. Press upon them your desire and your will in their life. And then give them the strength and the courage to answer that call, God. Thank you for the example you give us in Barnabas and Saul to just up and go when you call to face down opposition and to win souls to you. A soul that will be with you for eternity. God, thank you. Lord, be with us as we go our separate ways today. May these words be in our mind. May we ponder them for a while. We love you, Jesus. It's in your son's name. Amen.